Excellent. Well, if you can get that passage open, that's where we're looking tonight. That's what our focus will be on, that passage in uh, Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our series. So I'm going to pray for us and ask that God would help us tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you that we've been able to praise your name, that we've been able to speak to you in prayer, that we've been able to sit under your word. Father, would you come now and by your Holy Spirit, would you challenge us? Challenge us from the way that we have been thinking. Change us, Father, to make us more like Jesus. And Father, we ask that, that this fellowship here might more adequately reflect the one that we will be when we see you face to face. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Well, uh, I want to ask you a question. Who should we honour? Who should we honour? Do you have any, anyone in mind when you think, uh, I would like to honour this person? I think in general, Australians are terrible at doing this. Uh, I think it's largely because we think that if we honour someone, we'll be lifting them up. And if we're lifting them up, they'll get full of themselves. And we all know our national sport is to chop down tall what? Yeah. We've got to chop down the tall poppies. We can't possibly let them get up higher than us. And if we honour them, right, we're making them poppies that we'll then have to, have to chop down. So save ourselves the, the process. Don't lift anyone up. Right? That's one step cut out. They'll stay low and we won't have to cut them down. That's pretty handy, isn't it? Well, it's a bit cynical probably in, uh, in all actuality. Uh, but if I asked who should we honour, um, I, I tried this this morning. They weren't very participative uh, in the morning, but maybe you guys at night will be a little bit more participative. Um, I want you to give a yay or a ooh uh, as to whether you would like to honour these people. Are you up for the game? Okay, all right, good. Yeah, Paul's up for it already. He's... Already yaying. Uh, that's great, mate. Very good. Uh, so, uh, the Queen. Look at you guys. Fantastic. Uh, we are a constitutional monarchy, and I'm delighted tonight that you are so for our Queen. It's all those um, Diana videos that you've been watching recently, isn't it? Uh, you're feeling a renewed love for the, uh, the royal family. That's great. Uh, how about our politicians? Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, we're happy with the Queen. The Queen's a long way away. Our politicians are a little bit closer. Uh, does anyone know who this is? Who is this? That's Gladys, indeed. Uh, and I said this morning there'll be a bonus, uh, bonus prize at uh, supper if you can spell her second name. Uh, sorry? Or pronounce it. Berejiklian. Is that right? Anything with confidence, I think, is basically the, uh, the answer. All right, so okay, maybe not our politicians. Uh, how about our leaders? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, sorry, boys? Oh, okay, all right. There's some mixed thoughts about uh, Steve Smith, uh, our, our cricket captain. I, I think they held out for enough money, and now we can cheer for them. Is that, is that right? I'm not quite sure how that all unfolded. Oh, all right, uh, so we have some mixed, mixed responses to, uh, to honouring uh, our, our leaders in Australia. Paul will chuck us a curveball. He's actually going to tell us tonight that we should actually honour someone else. We should honour a different group of people than our leaders. Uh, we should be a group of people who honour servants, who honour servants. Now that seems a little odd, doesn't it? Not the people that we lift up, but the people who are lowly, the people who place themselves under others are the very ones that we should lift up and honour. So Paul tonight is going to make a case that we should honour servants and uh, he'll sort of show us how that works 
I think I've told this story before at uh, New Life at Night, but I'll tell it again because I like it. Uh, when I was in year five and six, how old are you in year five and six? How old are you? 11 and 12? Something like that? Okay. Callum's age, basically. When I was Callum's age, uh, I was uh, at a little church, a little United church, and uh, there was a guy there, a guy called Rolf. And Rolf was amazing because he could throw tennis balls a long way. And if you're an uh, 11, 12-year-old boy, that is very esteem and honour worthy, okay? And so for me, Rolf just went straight to the head of the pile because he could just make the tennis ball just disappear miles and miles away. So for me, Rolf, top of the pile, okay? Now, Rolf uh, said to me, Stuart, you need to be reading your Bible every single day. And I went, okay, Rolf can throw tennis balls a long way. I should read my Bible every single day. And so that's what I started to do. And so from about year five or six, uh, I started to read the Bible every single day. And it started me on a journey that I'm still on today. I'll try and pick up the Bible every single day. And I've probably been doing that since I was your age, Callum, which is only two or three years ago. So there you go. Uh, now, I met Rolf uh, again a little while ago. Uh, Rolf, after he uh, graduated from teaching me in Sunday school, um, went, uh, went through Bible college and he ended up going to Cambodia where he spent 20 years over there teaching the people in Cambodia uh, how to know and love Jesus. An incredibly faithful man. But the path that he started me on as a young boy has left an incredible impression on me. And uh, I was at a conference a while ago, sort of, you know, thousand people there. And after I was coming out, I saw Rolf and I went up to him and I said, mate, I just want you to know I'm still on the path that you set me on 20 years ago. I'm still on the path that you set me on years ago. And I just want to say thanks. I just want to say thanks. Do you have a Rolf in your life? Uh, as someone, not who can chuck tennis balls a long way, but as someone who's been instrumental in your Christian journey, someone who's cared and has put into your life something that without you would not be where you are today. Do you have a Rolf? I think they're the sort of people that Paul will point us to honour a little bit later on in this passage. So before we get to the two men, we're going to look at two men tonight, two of these servants. But I want to remind us a little bit of our background to the passage uh, that we have here. So does anyone remember where Paul is when he's writing this letter? Sorry? Okay, very good. That's very good. He's in prison in Rome. That's right. So that's both pieces of information are correct. He's in prison in Rome. Now, for most of us, when we think of prison, we think maybe of harsh lighting and we think of um, stainless steel toilets maybe and, and a little tray that gets pushed under the door or something with food on it. But it's not like that in ancient Rome. It's quite different. It's quite different. In Rome, if you're in prison, prison is user pays. User pays. What does, what does that mean? Well, the idea is that not that the government provides anything for you. The government provides a cell to lock you up in and a chain. Beyond that, it's up to you. And so if you don't have anyone who loves you, you will waste away in jail. The idea was because somebody loves and cares for you, they will bring food to the prison 
and they will provide for your needs. They might bring clothing for you to the prison, but none of it is provided by the government. So if you're in jail, you are hoping that somewhere somebody loves you because otherwise you're in big trouble. Thirdly, Paul's in prison, it's user pays, and he's awaiting a trial. Paul had appealed to Caesar. He'd made an appeal. He said, I appeal to Caesar. And they said, fine, to Caesar you will go. So they put him on a ship and a whole lot of stuff happened. But Paul ends up in Rome waiting for his case to be heard by Caesar. Now, does anyone know how the legal system works? Is it a quick, efficient system? The answer is no. It is never a quick or efficient system. It's a hopeless all over the place kind of system. And so Paul is there waiting for trial. And guess what? He is not the master of his destiny. He can't say when his case will be heard. And he certainly can't say what the outcome of that trial will be. So Paul's in uncertainty. He's in jail and he's dependent on the good wishes of his friends. Now, we need to remember that it was 2,000 years ago. Uh, and if someone was in jail today in a similar situation, we might send them something via FedEx, right? We just bundle it up. Here's, you know, your next six weeks of the dinner. They're all dehydrated, add hot water. It'll work out great. Um, and we'll send it via FedEx. 2,000 years ago, guess what? No FedEx. Very good. So we go, no, that's no, okay. It's okay. We'll send you some money. Okay, I can't Apple pay it to you, but what I'll do, I'll go to Western Union. Have you heard of them? What you do is you go and put the money in, and then there's actually a Western Union branch in the other end, and your relative goes to it, and they pay money out at the other end, money transfer. So you could use Western Union. You'll be surprised to know they didn't exist 2,000 years ago. You can't transfer cash. But then you go, look, we'll just have a little pep talk with Paul. We'll just give him a little bit of a, 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 a rev up. We'll get him on Skype and we'll just say, Paul, hang in there, bro. We're with you. Sorry, I've got to go. Pokemon's calling. No, no Skype. But then you think, well, look, it's okay. Philippi, we're kind of, uh, you know, top of Greece, Macedonia kind of area. We'll just take across to Rome for the weekend. Cheap flights this weekend. No problems. But it's 2,000 years ago. It's a huge journey and there are no airlines. What I want you to get, and it's a bit sorry to say it this way, but what I want you to get is all the things that we think of as convenient that connect distant places together don't exist in this world. The same love exists. Love and lasting relationships were still the same. But if you had to do something, you had to do it in person. You had to do it in person. The fastest thing in the world was horseback. Nothing moved faster than that. So if you wanted to communicate, you had to do it in person, and it took ages. All right, well, let's meet some of the people doing the communicating. If you've got the passage there, we're going to meet a guy called Timothy, and we're going to look at him. I'm going to pick him up in verse 19 there, but I want to give you a little bit of his biography, okay? A little bit of his biography. So what do we know about Timothy? Well, we actually know quite a bit about him from the Bible. We don't know that he was born in AD 17, but I am going to tell you how we figure that out a bit later. He was born in a city called Lystra, which is in modern Turkey. And he was a pretty amazing guy because he had very unusual parents. You might think that your parents are a bit unusual. Ruby's looking at me, that's okay. Uh, you might think your parents are a little bit unusual, but his were probably more unusual. His parents were a Greek dad and a Jewish mum. 
a Greek dad and a Jewish mum. That was a very unusual coupling. Because you know who the Greeks normally marry? Probably still the same today, I'm guessing. Do you know who the Jews marry? Oh, no, look at you guys. Fantastic. Uh, do you know who the Jews marry? Jews. You've got to keep the line pure, right? So here's the thing. To be a man who's born from a Greek father and a Jewish mother was extremely unusual. More unusual than that, we are told that his mum's name is Eunice and we get a bonus prize. His grandmother's name is Lois. And they're actually mentioned in the book called 2 Timothy, which is the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, where he says, Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures from when you were a little infant because they were taught to you by your mum and by your grandmother. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, His mum and his grandmother are remembered for all eternity in Scripture because they taught their boy the Bible. Isn't that great? So so we know that about, uh, about, uh, about Timothy. And then we know that in uh, AD, 60, uh, sorry, AD 49, um, he was in the village one day and a guy called Paul came into the village and he saw this fine young man and he said, you're with me. I, actually, I don't, I, know, I don't know at all how it happened. But Paul said to Timothy, I want you to join me. And for the rest of Paul's life, Timothy is either going from Paul on an important message, coming back to Paul with an important message, or standing next to Paul as Paul proclaims the good news about Jesus. From AD 49, Paul and Timothy are inseparable, and a beautiful friendship develops. The last thing that we hear about Timothy is from outside the Bible. We're actually told that he became the bishop of Ephesus, which is uh, over there in, um, uh, in western Turkey, and that he died in AD 97. Now, who can do the maths? We're told that he was 80 years old when he died, and so we know that he was probably born in AD 17. That's how we work it out. So there's a little bit of the background to Timothy. Let's meet him in the letter here. But before I do this, does anyone know how to play chess? Oh, I see that hand. Jamie, you're playing. Do you know Charlie? You know as well, Lily? Okay. Anyone else? Boys, oh, look at this. Does anyone like playing? Keep your hand up. Oh, okay, well done. See that hand too. Okay, all right. Now, the wonderful thing about chess, chess isn't just a game where you're kind of playing snap. Okay, that's a brainless game. Or, you know, that's a pretty brainless game. Chess is a game that is all about planning. And you don't just think, I need to move my pawn to here. You need to think, no, no, no. I'm going to move it to here, and then he's going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then she's going to do that, and then I'm... You're actually supposed to think lots and lots of moves ahead. It's a, it's a game for the planners. And that's either the reason you love it or the reason you hate it. But it's a game all about planning. Paul talks about planning here in 2.19. I, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. It's very interesting. We just breeze past this. Paul says, I hope in the Lord. And you might think that that's just a pious Christian thing to say. Why does he say, I hope in the Lord? The answer is that Paul is making his plans in the way that James suggests. Have a listen to this bit in James chapter 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Do you see what it's saying here? We're often people who love to scheme and plan, and we do so not dependent on God. We think that we're masters of our own destiny. And so I want to challenge you here. I want to say, how are we going making plans with genuine humility? Have we got our life mapped out six moves from now? Have we decided exactly where we're going to end up? In which case we're saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And Paul, uh, sorry, James is saying here, all such boasting is evil. Or will we say genuinely, in the Lord, I hope to do so? It's a planning attitude of humility. But then Paul tells us a bit more about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. If you have a look back in um, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 in Philippians, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And Paul says, Timothy, he embodies this. No one else is like him. Where did he grow up? Can anyone remember? A little pop quiz in the middle of the sermon. Lystra, excellent. Where was the church that he was writing to in Philippi? That was in Greece. Where was Paul in prison where Timothy was? Rome, great. If he was to be thinking about somebody, he would be thinking about home, certainly. Turkey. But here it says, Paul says, I have no one else like him. The only person in Rome who's a Christian who is like Timothy, there's no one, it's just him, because he has a genuine concern for you. This church in Philippi was so precious to Timothy that he had a genuine concern for them. He actually looked out for their interests. And so I wonder tonight, do we genuinely care about anyone here? Do we genuinely care about anyone here? Amazingly, Timothy cared about people he'd only met later in his life. He'd only been with them a, a, certain, a, a short, relatively short period of time, but he genuinely cared about them. Your church family is gathered here tonight. Do you genuinely care for any of them? Part of the challenge, I think, is actually to be known and then to know. And so I think it's incredibly challenging tonight to hear do we actually genuinely care about anyone here? May God help us to be like that. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that one of my things that you didn't know about me was that I um, play basketball. One of the other things is I ride bikes. Well, one bike, actually, at a time, generally. Um, And when I go riding, it's very, very important that uh, my ride comes off my my little computer Uh, my little data computer on the bike, and goes into my big computer and then goes up to the cloud in a thing called Strava. Very, very important. Say it again, Andy. If it's not on Strava, it didn't happen, okay? Because when my ride goes up there, a whole bunch of people who like me can give me a thumbs up and say, you did really well, and then I'm validated as a human being and I feel better about myself and just fantastic. If If it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. Quite seriously, the guys will boast on other social media and cry and go, my Garmin broke and my ride isn't up on Strava. Well, yeah, it's not there. It didn't happen. That is what's going on. You need to 
prove it. You need proof that you actually did it. Paul says that there's some beautiful proof about Timothy. Have a look with me at verses 22 to 24. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul says that Timothy has proven himself faithful in the work of the gospel. He stood alongside Paul. And these guys have such an awesome relationship that Timothy is, according to Paul, like his own what? Son. He says, as a son with his father, he's proved himself faithful. First of all, I think that's a great challenge to us as fathers, men here. As a son with his father, he has proved faithful. How are we doing with standing with our sons in faithfulness? That's a good challenge. But secondly, I think, I want us to think, is church like a family business? In the sense of, are we working together in such a way that we could say it's like It's like we're family together. We're so invested in this beautiful, glorious thing of making Jesus known. We've so got to know each other in doing that, that we're like family. Is church family business? Now, I think church can be, but probably we've only been going for about five and a half years, and most of us have been here for considerably less than that. Becoming family in less than five years is hard work, okay? So I think I'd love to say, is it family business? I'd love it to grow that way because we're serving together. So do we have real relationships, the kind of relationships that might count as father and son, the kind of relationships that are deep? And the reason I ask that is, are they proven relationships? Some of you will come to me at some point, in fact, most of you will come to me at some point and say, can I please have a reference letter? Do you know what a reference letter is? This is where somebody says, well, I say in this case, yes, I know such and such, and they're really good character, and you should employ them. And people come and say to me, can you write a letter of reference for me? And I go, how about you write and I'll sign it? It's a little joke. Don't do that, of course. But, it, you know, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It helps me a lot if I know you. It helps me a lot if we have genuine partnership. I can vouch for you. And what Timothy and Paul is essentially doing here, Paul is writing Timothy's letter of validation. He's saying, I can vouch for this bloke. He is solid and rigid. I totally trust him. Can I say to you, if you want a letter of reference from me, it would be wonderful if we can start working for Jesus together, because uh, uh, it all starts now. I need to have something to say when I write the letter, and I'd be delighted to if you join with me in making the good news of Jesus known here at New Life. Well, let's meet the other bloke who's in this letter here, a guy called Epaphroditus. Uh, kids, there'll be a spelling check on this later. Okay? Epaphroditus. Okay. Everyone ready? Good. Okay, I'm going to take his name off the screen, and now you've got to write it down the Karen Connect cards. There you go. Okay, so Epaphroditus, what do we know about him? We know that he has a very unattractive icon uh, that turns up in, um, when you uh, Wikipedia him. Uh, he's very unattractive. Um, he started off in Philippi. He's a native of Philippi, and he's gone across to Rome. Uh, he's probably named, his, his name Epaphroditus is probably kind of picking up on the name of Aphrodite, who was the god, uh, goddess of love, okay? And so it's, it's like he's a lovely bloke. He is sent from Philippi in about AD 62 to go across to Rome on this way called the Egation Way. All right? Fantastic. Why would that be particularly a problem? We're told in the literature around this time that the the roads, well-maintained but dangerous. You could be in danger from bears. Legitimately, I had to look it up, but there are apparently bears in Greece. Who knew? 
bears from bandits and from sickness. And it seems somewhere along the line that Epaphroditus got incredibly unwell on his journey. It seems like he made an heroic decision, even though he was close to death, to keep going towards Rome because, remember, they weren't Western Union transferring the cash. It was probably in his keeping, and if he didn't go, it wouldn't get there. Okay, So he made this decision to push on. Once he had got there, there was a sense in which Paul understood that Epaphroditus was one of his brothers, a band of brothers, for those of you who've seen the TV show, that he had stood with him, that he had battled alongside Paul. And so he has this amazing bond with this man called Epaphroditus. Have a listen to the words Paul uses here in verse 25. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. See, Paul says, I'm incredibly connected with this bloke. And this is, this is the language that he uses to describe him. He says he's a brother. He says he's a co-worker. says he's a fellow soldier. Had a little laugh with the morning service. I said, do girls have a similar word to describe Good guys. See, if I say he's a good man, that's like a high honour in my, in my kind of world, right? Is it, do girls say that she's a good woman? I, said, I asked, asked the girls in my life group and they said, no, no, we kind of have a bit of description. And uh, I said, typical, guys have got one word, women have got a whole sort of paragraph. To anyway, here's the thing. Paul says he's a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier. What does that mean? Well, because he's a brother, it means that they have one love together. Because he's a co-worker, it means he's on purpose with me. Because he's a fellow soldier, Paul is saying, this man has battled with me to make the good news of Jesus known. And I want to ask, whatever words you use or paragraphs, ladies, whatever words or paragraph you use, do you know a fellowship like this where you would call the people who are standing next to you brother, co-worker, fellow soldier? I aspire to be a fellowship like that where we would use these words because we have stood next to each other because we have done the hard work of naming Jesus in our community. I would love us to be a fellowship like this. But we have to remember that in the ancient world, everything is slow. Where here, you plug it in and you're on the, um, you know, the broadband that's going uh, laser fast because of the, um, all the... Uh, fiber optic cable around the place. It's really slow in the ancient world. Have a listen to what happens if you have slow communication. Verse 26. For he longs for all of you. This is uh, Epaphroditus. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy. God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. See, here's what I think happened. I think that he got unwell on the journey and he was in some dirty inn somewhere, throwing up or whatever was happening to him. And there was a traveler in there and they said, mate, where are you from? I'm speculating, speculating. Mate, where are you from? And he goes, oh, I'm from Philippi. He goes, oh, I'm going there. I'll let them know that you're really unwell. So the messenger went that way. And Epaphroditus bravely went on that way. Okay? And so the news about his illness got back to Philippi, but there's no way to call him on the mobile phone and say, how are you doing today, mate? The other thing is that he was so unwell that he almost died. Do you know what happened in the ancient world, a world without, holiday, without um, 
without proper hospitals, without antibiotics, without medicine, if you nearly died, you were so unwell that you'd nearly died, what generally happened if you got that unwell in the ancient world? You actually died. You didn't just do the nearly, you did the whole thing, the whole, the whole enchilada. You wouldn't just nearly die, you'd get to the point of nearly dying and then you'd just tip over the edge and you'd actually die. Man flu, exactly. Uh, Darren, great suggestion. True illness and, and sickness. Um, so here's the thing. It's speculated that maybe, because he was so ill that he almost died, maybe what happened was he got to Paul, and when Paul said that God had mercy on him, maybe Paul healed him. Possible. And so the mercy that God showed him here was actually a miracle of healing. Don't know, that's total speculation. But here's something that's not speculation, but is equally wonderful. In verse 27, we're told that he was spared sorrow upon sorrow. Paul, it seemed, carried sorrow around with him. But in the book of Philippians, what's the word that we've heard repeated again and again? The word is joy. The word is joy. Paul rejoices in the Philippians. He has great joy in hearing about them. And yet he says he was spared sorrow upon sorrow. What does this tell us? Something I hope is really helpful for us tonight. It's possible to be sorrowful and yet joyful. It's possible to be sorrowful and yet joyful. What that means is you can carry around sadness and weight in your heart, anguish and distress, but find in the Lord something that enables you to rejoice. Both together, sorrowful yet joyful. I hope that that's encouraging for you because what it means is God does not call you to happiness, but to rejoicing in his good provision, no matter what the circumstances are. You know, when we come full circle back to honour, I think the only place that we ever honour anything nowadays is at Anzac Day. It's the one holy ceremony that our secular Australia actually respects, I think. And so honour is shown to the fallen in Anzac Day. And Paul says that there should be honour shown here. Have a look with me at verses 29 to 30. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Now, why is Paul concerned to say you need to honour Epaphroditus? Well, just think with me. It's a little thought experiment. Why did they send Epaphroditus from Philippi? Why did they send him? To look after who? Look after Paul. What was he bringing to Paul? Well, probably cash and clothing and various bits and pieces, certainly a whole bunch of love, okay? Now, he was to help Paul in jail, but now he's coming back. Where is Paul? Still in jail. So it's possible that when he comes home, having been sent as the ambassador from the Philippians, when he comes home, it could feel like he's failed. Paul's still in jail. Who's looking after Paul? And Paul says, look, I have to send him back to you because of how unwell he was and because he misses you and because he heard that you were, you were distressed about him. And so I think what Paul is doing is actually something beautiful. He explains his return is not a failure but because of illness. And what he's really doing, Paul ensures honour, not shame, when Epaphroditus comes home. Does that make sense? You didn't come home a failure, Epaphroditus. You came home a hero for almost losing your life for Jesus. So we can be like Timothy. Pick your, pick your person you want to be like. Be like Timothy. Great care, great record, and great responsibility. 
We can be like Epaphroditus, who showed amazing love, deep fellowship, daring, risking his life, but also had this potential to be viewed as a failure. Where are we? Where are we? I think practically speaking, we want to be people who honour those who are like him. And so we've got missionaries overseas. um, Howard and Michelle are over in the Philippines. I think we should do a better job of supporting them. I'm going to work on that. How do we support our missionaries? Will we take risks for Jesus? Will we be like Epaphroditus? I hope you don't have to face bears tomorrow. Okay. But will you take risks to follow Jesus? And will we honour our heroes? Will we give the people who are our Rolfs a little note and say, thank you. You made a huge difference in my life. I want to finish with a practical way that we have honoured someone really close to here. This is a bloke uh, who was born in Tasmania in 1911. Uh, He didn't always wear that, um, boys and girls. Uh, That's actually uh, clergy, uh, minister's clothing. He's not a girl, dressed up as a boy. Um, That's him there in uh, in a little bit later, probably about 1958, I think. Uh, He was ordained to become a minister in 1935. He was the principal of Moore College for four years before he became the Archbishop of Sydney from 1966 to 1982. He's a man who stood up for the good news about Jesus, who taught the Bible faithfully. When I was reading a little biography about him, he said, amidst all of his responsibility, amidst loving the word, he was always faithful. He was always pastoral. And what that meant is he was always visiting the sick and praying and caring for people at a really profound level. Despite the fact that he had a big job, He never lost sight of caring for individuals. Who was this man? A man called Marcus Lone. Why does that matter? There's a little sign just out on the corner here. It says Marcus Lone Way. If you've wondered who Marcus Lone raced for in Oran Park, he didn't race for anyone. The developers here let us name one street. And the people who named it, named it after this man, Marcus Lone. And so Marcus Lone Way, running across there, is a way, a tiny little way, to honour a faithful person in our midst. Now, brothers and sisters, you won't get a street named after you, probably. But I would love to think that we will have a fellowship where we honour one another and give thanks for the way that we have sought to love and serve Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Timothy, for Epaphroditus, Thank you for men and women like them. I thank you for Howard and Michelle in the Philippines. I thank you for our far more humble circumstances here. Heavenly Father, would you help us to build a deep and strong fellowship where we honour you and where family bonds are formed. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, we do a thing called Q&A, which you probably didn't remember tonight. Has anyone got any questions arising from uh, the sermon tonight? Or I I do say all the time that if you've got general questions, I'm happy to take them. So someone got a question arising from our little excursion into Philippians tonight. Spell Epaphroditus without looking at the Bible. E-P-Paphro. E-P-R-A-P-H. A-A-R-P-H. Paf. Well, that was why I was making it your challenge, yeah? Good, okay, great. Well, here's, let's put down on the podcast because someone's listening to this. Uh, I was asked to spell Epaphroditus and I failed 
dismally. Thank you very much, Darren. I think that's a very helpful question. <laughs> you can't say I didn't ask for that. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, and I will go home and write out Epaphroditus 100 times. There we go. E-P-A-P-H-R-O-D-I-T-U-S. Yes, very good. Okay. All right. Uh, yes. 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 Uh, excellent question. I suspect you're as qualified as I am to answer that, but I agree with your speculation that it's probably Roman rather than Greek. It sounds like a Roman name for sure. The reason we had it as our first reading, I'm not sure if you picked it up, but it was about honouring people and offering hospitality. That was the connection, which I didn't draw in very well. But So the first reading was saying that you need to honour people who are travelling around, provide a house for them if they come into your community. And it was setting up the fact that some people are not letting uh, the community look after the travelling people who should be honoured amongst them. That, that was the connection. Yes, I think it's a Roman name. That's my, that's my guess. Thank you for the question. That's a great one. Uh, there's another one over here. Bill, do you have one? Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. How do we approach honouring our politicians if we're in direct disagreement with them? Uh, and how would we pray for our politicians? I think that's right. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think I probably even didn't do a good job tonight, even as I held Gladys up. So there we go. Failed, failed even just there. Um, look, I, I think the first thing is to understand that uh, unless you're really willing to run, you should be thankful that they have. Yes? Who is going to do that job? You're not going to do that job. Someone has decided to do that job. Um, how should we pray for them? I think we should ask that God has mercy on them and helps them to do the job they probably intended to do when they offered themselves for public service, which is to represent their people well and to deal honourably and truthfully with the responsibility that's entrusted to them. I think we should, first of all, honour the position that their public servants who have set aside the rest of their life to do that. So we should honour that, I think, at that level. If we disagree with what they stand for, we should embrace the fact that we have a democracy that enables them to stand for things that we disagree with. And then we probably should organise ourselves in such a way that we try to prosper and promote those who agree with the things that we agree with. And if we find such people, when was the last time we supported and encouraged them? So that would be my response. Pray for the things that they would wish for themselves, I think, which is that they'd be honourable and upright and that they might be sustained in their public service, uh, that we would give thanks that they've taken the job because we're not, and that we might pray for those who are standing in accord with the things that we value and probably encourage them directly. I think that would be a good start. Mm, thank you. Great question. Yeah, Alec. Yes. That's a really good question. Uh, we think that Peter died in Rome. Is there a chance that he went there to visit Paul? I, I think that's wonderful speculation. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel qualified enough to answer it. But if he was in Rome, there would be no doubt that he would have been aware of Paul. And so it, he would definitely have dropped by. Whether that was his intention in going is a great question. Uh, I, I don't know. Have you got a thought on it yourself? He was intending to go to the seat of power and, and speak truth to power. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I think that's good speculation. Yeah. Was there one more? Yeah, Peter. I'm sorry, mate? 
are there other people that we should honour? Honour your parents, honour your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land, is what it says. Yes, we should honour our, our parents. Uh, easy to do, anyone? Great. Kids, you can take encouragement from the fact that it actually can be hard for adults as well. And then, while we're all praying for one another, we do it better, um, we'll all be lifted up, won't we? Uh, parents will be modelling it to children. And children will be honouring their father and mother. How about, I, uh, how about I bring it to a close there? There'll be more questions. We can uh, chat over supper.